Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the LawCast. This time, we're going back to cover the time Cena and Batista blew the finish of the Royal Rumble, and Vince blew his quads out trying to fix it. It's Royal Rumble 2005. Kyush, was this the single most bizarre ending to any match in pro wrestling history? It's really, really up there. And yet, despite the fact that anything else that's even remotely like this has been vilified throughout wrestling history, I'm sure, this has the effect of being so kind of awesome. It might also be like the most well-played-off finish and that was fucked up in wrestling history, as everyone involved combines to somehow make a surreal spectacle that works and doesn't detract from the actual finish. Yeah. I mean, the really shocking thing, we'll talk we'll talk about this from every angle, but to me, the shocking thing is always, they do this completely by accident, and yet, even watching this a hundred times, I swear they hit the ground at the exact same time. Yeah, and, like, despite the fact that there was no plan for this, the way the Raw and SmackDown referees were just like, oh, I'm yeah. going to announce, I'll announce Batista, and you announce Cena, and we'll just do, kind of go back and forth until Vince gets out here. It's like, they, it's... You could absolutely make someone believe that this was the plan the whole time. People, th- at the, as it ha- as it happened, people were like, oh, I bet that was scripted. There's no way, like, because it just went, it all made so much sense the way it went down. And that's the thing. They probably were happy with it after it went, because I think it's a better finish than the one they had planned, because it makes them both look equal. It probably was. We've got all that to talk about. But first, we've got some really interesting current wrestling stories to talk about. Um, Leading off, Okada is leaving New Japan. It's actually happening. That thing that we both said we didn't think was going to happen, it's happening. Now in the cold light of dawn, now that we know that this is actually happening... It can't. I can't help but have it occur to me that this has actually probably been in the leaves for a year. Okada hasn't so much as sniffed the world title since he lost yeah. to Sonata. He's been doing six-man tags and matches that he was just doing for fun. The year has been built around all these new guys coming up. It seems likely to me that Okada told them that this was his yeah. last year. So um, <laughs> are all these guys leaving over money or because they hate the the old president? Well, that's what's really confusing all of this, because, like, I would have completely understand if it was just that, like, we have entered an era of wrestling free agency that New Japan just can't compete with as AEW and WWE are throwing huge sums of money at guys. And, of course, New Japan's going to be like the training ground for big stars. Totally understandable. But then all these stories come out about how everyone fucking hated that president. Yeah. And so if they made Tanahashi president just as like a last ditch effort to keep Okada, obviously that didn't work. I don't know because they're so secretive in terms of like what it actually is. And they were determined to let that guy leave as like, oh, no, he did a great job. We love that guy. I I don't know that we'll ever know. The reporting right now is that he's undecided on whether he's going to WWE or AEW. Um it sounds like his working that dynamite back in October was him wanting to kind of get a feel for AEW, see what the locker room's like, see what their production is like, that kind of thing. The interesting thing about that, the thing that kind of points me to thinking that it was about the president and not so much about like anything else is that he hadn't even made his choice. He's just wants yeah. to leave Japan. He's just decided that it's time to move on. 
which is probably for the best for him, honestly. What is there left for him to do in Japan, really? Yeah, no, there are no worlds left for him to conquer in New Japan. None. He's much Absolutely. better off leaving, making a ton of money for a few years in AEW or WWE, and then coming back to New Japan in a couple of years for one last run. Yeah, we talked about that with Nakamura when he yeah. first went over and like how much sense it would make to leave and then come back for like your late 40s run where you can make a bunch of money on nostalgia. Then it turned out that Nakamura didn't want to leave America. That might very well happen here, too. But regardless of which decision that Okada makes, and to be honest, I feel like he's probably leaning towards WWE just because he made he's making such elaborate like goodbye announcements that like. It, it would seem weird to do that if you were going to AEW because yeah. you can just come back whenever the fuck you want. Yeah, if he went to AEW, he'd be you know, wrestling New Japan guys on Forbidden Door and presumably still working some of the big New Japan shows. So, yeah, it does feel a little bit like he's going to end up with WWE. But maybe he maybe it is actually still up in the air. Maybe he's letting the companies bid. Um Meltzer said he had heard AEW made the stronger initial offer. We'll see if WWE, you know, can beat it. Well, see, here's the thing is that like this is similar to the things that we said about Will Ospreay. How often do talents of this caliber become available? Never. I, I don't know that a free agent the caliber of Kazuchika Okada has ever been openly available on the free market to anyone who could pay him. I don't. I'm just jumping out at me. I genuinely like a Bret Hart past is primed a bit on. Like I, I just don't think you would have to go back to like Razor and Diesel to get to like. And even then, it wasn't like a fair, a fair open bidding competition. They were leaving WWE to go to WCW. Here, it's just like Okada is going to arrive in America and say, "All right, woo me, motherfuckers," and then he'll be he could be the top star of whichever company he chooses. Yeah. Presumably he will not be at the Royal Rumble because he's still got some dates left to work for New Japan. He's got a couple dates he's been advertised for in February that it sounds like he's going to honor. Let me tell you about how depressing the next month of New Japan is. We just had the big dramatic goodbye for Tama Tonga. We still have to have one for Will Ospreay yep. and Okada in the next month. Oh, brutal. Just brutal. Yeah. T- tough for New Japan, but it just... I guess they were always protected by the fact that the American companies didn't really want their talent. But now suddenly with yeah. Vince gone and with Forbidden Door such a success and all of the New Japan guys now like like stars to AEW fans, well shit, now everyone wants New Japan guys. <laughs> yeah. We'll have plenty more coverage of this. Of course, we'll be talking about it once he makes a decision and shows up somewhere, but Let's move on to story number two, Hook versus Joe, the match yeah. we all, the match we didn't know we needed, but we desperately did. Um, awesome match, a star-making performance for Hook, even in defeat. From the moment that Hook first debuted, it was sort of just like, all right, we have ourselves a star. He's obviously very green. We don't know how long it's going to take him to get there, but as long as he continues on this trajectory, it seems like a slam dunk. This guy's going to make it. And then he just kind of fucked around for two years, getting uh-huh. experience. And it just feels like out of nowhere one day, he has now leveled up to where he could just be a main eventer now. 
And I don't think anybody would have a problem with it. Oh, and he absolutely should be. I think he's their best young star. Yeah. We joke about how he's like the first Generation Z star that we yeah. really have in the wrestling industry, but he is. Like, he, he embodies that generation in a way that is so fucking cool and different. He but brings a totally different vibe. The promo they did for him where he's outside on a snowy night eating a big slice of pizza and just being like, oh, of course I can't beat Samoa Joe. Everybody knows he's way too big for me. I got no chance. But, you know, what if I do beat him? What then? It's brilliant stuff. These promos that they're do they're producing with him that are never in the studio at all. It's always like pre-taped in his environment. He's like always in Brooklyn. Yeah. He's like, you remember the one where he's like sipping on wine and he just pulls the FTW title out of his bag. He's like, you want it? All right. <laughs> yeah. There's so much charisma in those that like you should just only cut promos with him like that for the rest of his career. I can't I- wait until women on Twitter discover Hook. Like, this is what I'm saying. Like, like guys. Is this the most attractive wrestler we've ever seen? Like, he's definitely fucking up there. He's the first, he's one of the first wrestlers that I'm like, yeah, I'm too old to find that guy attractive. <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh, <laughs> I'm kind of skeeved out by that. God. How the hell is this Taz's son? That's the other thing, too, is that, like, you would never guess an but no. He has everything that Taz never had. How long was he around before either of us realized he was Taz's son? I think I think they made reference to it pretty early. Yeah. But like it it wasn't right away. Man. Um now the question is can they follow up? Because I feel like lots of guys have had star making performances in AEW and then they've just not had any follow up for them. Like Remember when Ricky Starks had that awesome program with MJF, and then what? Yeah, the the next year has been an, a foul disappointment for Ricky Starks. Yeah. Um, I will say I do have some hope in that regard. Uh, AEW focusing on more like a sports centric yeah. presentation. Hook is tailor made for back. that. Yeah, like having Hook just like hang out in the top ten of the rankings is a great way yep. to keep him on people's mind. Um. They haven't bobbled Swerve Strickland. He still feels very much like a big deal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This thing that they're doing with him and Hangman. Oh, mm, ah, chef's kiss. Yeah. I am very intrigued by where all this is going because I really have no idea who Joe's going to defend the belt against at Revolution. Maybe it's a triple threat match. I can do some Dave Meltzer reporting and just be like, uh, it'll be Joe against Hangman or Joe against Swerve or maybe a triple threat match. Yep. Some Dave Meltzer reporting. Yeah, I, uh, I've heard definitively from someone within the company that they will do one of seven matches. One of all, it'll be one of all of the obvious things they can do. But my favorite thing that they're doing in that company right now is they're positioning Samoa Joe as the yeah. ultimate credible champion, and everyone on the roster it feels like they're all gunning for him at the same time. What like, a great run for Joe this is turning out to be. Yes. So late in his career. I didn't think he had, I didn't think he had this left. I just didn't think he could stay healthy. Yeah. Like, I mean, the health had been such like a issue for him all during his WWE run, especially. And like when he came back and did the TNT title stuff, I was like, man, this is fun. I'm glad he's going to get to like end his career on a happy note. Fuck that. He's, (laughs) 
If it weren't for champion. Roman, he'd be the best world champ in the world. Yeah. Uh, this is great. Um, so, yeah. We'll have plenty more on both Hook and Joe. And finally, story number three. The Royal Rumble is this Saturday. I haven't talked about this at all. Yeah, we haven't brought this up at all, really, except our wanton speculation about which of the five guys is actually going to win the Royal Rumbles. Uh, We've got Roman defending the title in a four-way against AJ, LA Knight, and Orton. Uh, That's interesting and weird. Apparently, they didn't think they could beat Orton, which... I think I pinned Randy Orton at some point in the past 10 years. Everybody has beaten Randy Orton. I mean, it's been so long that he's been gone. I guess they have yeah. a chance. But if that's the case, I just wouldn't have put Orton in this yet. You know, I'd build him up for Roman after WrestleMania or something like that. Like him and Roman and AJ one on one feels cool. Yeah, I feel. I mean, we haven't done it in a while. I know that they've done it, but it's been a minute. It was forever ago. He's never fought like tribal chief Roman. I yeah. don't think. I don't think so either. Um, so I just I don't see the push to do Randy right away, especially I, I might do that at Elimination Chamber since you're trying to fill a big ass place in Austin or something like that. But I don't know. Whatever. It doesn't fucking matter because Roman if Roman Reigns lost the belt at this show, it would be the most preposterous thing to oh ever God, happen in the history imagine. of wrestling. I did see some people be like, oh, maybe this way Roman can lose the title without being pinned. I'm like, that would be the worst thing to ever happen. Like, what the, the fuck do you mean? <laughs> if Randy just like RKO'd LA Knight and him, that's <laughs> how Roman Reigns three and a half year title run ended. Yeah, it doesn't matter that he hasn't been beaten. It doesn't. What matters is that he hasn't been beaten for the belt. That's what matters. God. Uh, we've got the only other announced match other than the two Rumble matches is Logan Paul versus Kevin Owens, which sounds fucking awesome, actually. Yeah, I'm sure that that's going to be great. Logan Paul does so much better when he's with, like, fucking ring generals to, like, tell him exactly what the fuck it is that he needs to do. So, like, this is going to be good stuff. Yeah, I mean, please get that belt off of Logan Paul. I assume there's going to be another match at it. Only two sounds. We'll probably get a third match, but just fine with me. Um, Men's Rumble. I'm thinking CM Punk. I think Cody's not finishing the story. Man, this is so tough. Yeah. Because like, they haven't. They're still treating it like Cody's going to finish the story. Or at least that that's a, a big thing that they still have going on. But can he really not finish the story and still be a credible character? I don't know. He doesn't have. So the story to me is just him winning the WWE title, which he doesn't right. actually have to do at WrestleMania. He could do it at SummerSlam, which is apparently going to be in Cleveland. Like I he, would actually he could be- do it in Saudi Arabia. No, shut up. No, he could do it in Berlin or Paris or any of these awesome places they're doing pay-per-views this year. That what would be fascinating to me is like I like the SummerSlam idea and I like the idea of Cody doing something like Roman's never going to give me a shot. That's what I liked about the Rumble idea before like Punk came in is that like he's going to force Roman. Roman yeah. doesn't have a choice. Never the put only the other- title up against him again unless yeah, he wins the Rumble. I'd love it if Cody like entered money in the bank and won yeah, that. That's and an then idea. he could just be like, it's time, Roman. Yeah. <laughs> SummerSlam, it's time. Um any idea who is gonna win win the women's Royal Rumble? 
Oh, fuck. Could it be a returning Sasha Banks? See, here's the thing. I am very much of the opinion that Sasha Banks is returning, even though every fucking wrestling publication is certain that she's debuting on this Dynamite, this Rampage, this Collision. Yeah. Um, I, I, otherwise, like, what, what are our, what are our WrestleMania women? So, who is Rhea? Who do we think Rhea is defending against? They were doing a lot with her and Becky. Yeah, on, her and Becky on, like, feels like a big WrestleMania match, right? Yeah, absolutely, it does. And literally, she did a thing where just like Becky wasn't sure she could win the Rumble, and Rhea was like, "Yeah, you can. I'll see you at WrestleMania." So I'm gonna guess it's Becky. And if it is Becky, then I don't think Sasha's returning in the Rumble because I feel like that would be hugely anticlimactic yeah. if she didn't win. I don't think I would bring her back if she wasn't going to win. I get. And then I guess you could also do Bianca, Rhea, that's like always in their back pocket. But like, yep. I think I think Becky's the match for this one. Yeah. Nia Jax wins. I'm going to fucking throw a brick through my TV. <laughs> So, yeah, we will have all the fallout from the world. Oh, and Seth Rollins apparently is not forfeit in the title. He's going yeah, to try to do an Aaron Rodgers recovery and be ready for WrestleMania, even though he blew his knee out last week. We're literally recording this at 8.30 on Monday night. We literally listened to Seth yeah. Rollins' promo immediately before recording this. <laughs> yeah, he didn't have to do the promo where he forfeited the title this time, thankfully. I did love that the setup to that promo was that he was going to be doing that exact promo. We've seen that from him before. And then the tease with Gunter. Buddy, I want Gunter to win the fucking Royal Rumble. I don't give a shit about any CM Punk. I don't care about the story. I want Gunter forever. (laughs) All right. Let's turn the clock back to January of 2005 to... One of the weirdest times ever in this company's history. Oh, uh, shit. <laughs> there is some strange stuff going on in this company right now. Is there not? It's astounding how much weird stuff there is going on and how normal we all felt it all was at the time. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we'd just be been desensitized to all this shit, to miscarriage angles, to Heidenreich and whatever the fuck little Johnny was supposed to be about, to Triple H and his ridiculous suits and his gross hair. This was all just normal. Yeah. JBL, was it during this fall that he did the thing where they were in Japan and he brought up like the Godzilla inflatable because he got shot with a trank dart or something like that? I think he got shot with the trank gun like right on the way in here because I think the point was... They were supposed to shoot Big Show with it instead. They, yes. shot, they shot him with it instead. And he's like walking around with an inflatable Godzilla thing and like in his boxers or something like that. Like we're in a weird time. Yeah. Notably, Bruce Pritchard, very prominently involved in creative at this time. This is actually fun to think about because like this is the A A1 purest distillation of Bruce Pritchard's booking. He has basically untethered control of SmackDown, and it is in his vision. Just fucking terrible. It's the worst show they've ever aired. It's <laughs> unwatchable. The last thing we covered from around this time was Unforgiven 2004 back in the fall. Uh, that's where Triple H beat Randy Orton to very unceremoniously 
end his title reign as world heavyweight champion after only a couple weeks. You'll be stunned to find out that nothing has been going well for Randy Orton since that time. Yeah, you can believe it, Randy Orton is not over by this point after that happened. After getting completely jobbed out and then subsequently continuing to get jobbed out. Well, he's got one more job to do on this show. He sure does. Talk all about that. The last pay-per-view, this is when they were doing the New Year's Revolution. Uh, this was the first one, I think. They ran New Year's Revolution in Puerto Rico on January 9th. This was kind of a disaster show where both of the first two matches ended with wrestler. Eugene tore his ACL in the opening match, and then I think Lita tore her ACL in the second match. Yeah, literally, this show was absolutely snake-bitten from the start. For whatever reason, everyone got hurt. Like, I think Rigo got, like, a busted nose really bad, and, like, Trish got hurt. Everyone who stepped into the ring for the first hour of this show got hurt. They didn't have any of the security issues they were concerned about. The crowd was perfectly well-behaved. That was the thing, is that, like, they were so paranoid that, like, the Puerto Rican crowd would be, like, throwing batteries at the ring and shit. And no, it's just nice. They were fine. There's no heat. I mean, yeah, this isn't... There's no heat in this company at this point. No, they're not doing death matches and shit. It's just people are just here to see a nice show. Triple H won back the World Heavyweight Championship by outlasting Orton, Chris Benoit, Edge, Chris Jericho, and Batista in an elimination chamber match where Shawn Michaels was the guest referee. Uh, The title was held up after Triple H tapped out to a simultaneous Crippler crossface educator back on Raw a few weeks before this, is my memory. Yes, I believe so. That was weird. I don't, yeah. know why they, I don't know why they bothered with any of that. I don't really know either. Um, I don't think they had a clear idea of what they were doing going in to like around this show. Batista starts to catch on and they know they have something there and they're sort of growing that storyline. But in the meantime, they don't have any contenders for Triple H. They weren't expecting to put the belt on him. <laughs> My memory is that New Year's Revolution was really Batista's coming out party. Yeah, that crowd went insane yeah. for Batista. They do that unbelievably great angle where he's just whomping everybody's ass until Orton catches him with a lucky RKO and then Triple H sinks down in the corner rather than help him so that he doesn't have to face Batista. That's so great. That was the that was the subtle storytelling that just elevated this Triple H-Batista feud above Almost anything else from this era was just the little details they would come up with like that. Triple H is about to break up the pin and then he stops himself and slinks back down in the corner. He's like, oh, shit, I'm not sure. I'm not convinced I want Batista to stay in this match. And then the next like the next night on Raw, like Randy Orton comes out and shows Batista the video. Just like, look, look at this motherfucker right here. He could have saved you. He should have saved you. He's going to do to you what he did to me. Yeah. And you get the great acting from Batista, which nobody knew he was capable of. No. Yeah. For three months, you don't get any guaranteed sense of how he's feeling about any particular situation. 
There's just mystery behind those eyes. Just all, these, just all these subtle looks you get from you just catch him like looking at the title. You catch him scowling about something Triple H and Flair are doing. He's a little slow to come help him out. It's so well done. Yeah. Like he starts to get angry when Triple H bosses him around, but he'll always come down and be like, you know what, champ? You're right. I got you. It's all good. In the end, if you really look at how the storyline progresses, Batista is nothing but a great friend to Triple H yeah. from the, to the very end. Uh, Triple H gets too paranoid. Yeah. Yeah. Batista. His own grave. Batista literally sacrifices his own ambitions again and again for Triple H, only for Triple H to bury himself. Uh, Triple H is going to defend against Orton on this night. That surprised me at the time because I was still under the impression we were do- that we were doing Triple H Orton all the way to WrestleMania. I mean, the Orton thing didn't stink of failure as much at the time as it does in retrospect. Yeah. I think like we still it was bad, but I don't think any of us really realized how dead in the water Orton was. So when it did happen like this, it was like, oh, they don't think he's good at all. No, I mean, I. it had to have been the original plan for yeah. Orton to chase Triple H all the way to WrestleMania. And then at some point in the fall, they just gave up on it. And Batista, they were right to go with Batista instead. Yeah, I think even fucking Orton would say yeah. that they were right to go with Batista. I'm sure like, he would, they, because Randy Orton hates being a baby face. So he'd just be like, yeah, it was stupid that they ever turned me face. And it's so clear in retrospect, too, that, like, the cheering for Orton was more indicative of, like, people were really wanted something new. And, like, they couldn't really articulate it. But once Batista and Cena came onto the scene, the way they were embraced so quickly yeah. is very clearly a sign to, the, to Vince and company to be like, look, push someone new, please, now. So we've got two really notable backstage stories. One a departure, one a return that didn't happen. First, the departure is they let The Rock's contract run out at the end of 2004 and didn't even bother to call him. He got totally blindsided by this and was very upset about it. Now, let the record show, I don't think either one of them really thought that they were going to re-sign The Rock yeah. because, like, there was no reason to make sense. Him. He's not going to wrestle for them anymore. But there's a way to handle this, yes. which is... Vince should have called Rock, thanked him for all he had done for the company over the years, and told him, you know, doors open anytime you want to come back. Like, we can work something out. It just doesn't make sense for us to, you know, they're going to pay him a million dollar downside when he's not going to work any matches. That doesn't make any sense. And Rock didn't want to wrestle at this time. His management was telling him not to wrestle. Yes. So I'm sure the management even would have told him not to resign. And that's totally fine. But... There's a big difference between, hey, champ, we're not going to re-sign you this time, but we wish you the best out in Hollywood. Thank you so much for everything that you've done. We'd love to get back together someday. Because The Rock has been very clear at that time and and subsequently that he always wanted to come back to wrestling. He just wanted to make it first so that it wouldn't affect his Hollywood roles that he was getting. So, like, it it was just so short-sighted of Vince not to make that phone call. Just Vince being petty. You know, 
I what a weird thing to do. But yeah, Rock was pissed. He just like got the note. Either him or his agent just like got the notice in the mail that they were letting the contract expire. And this is not speculation. He talked about it publicly. Like he did an interview with Dave Meltzer and the Wrestling Observer back then, where he said that he got blindsided and he was really upset about it. And he doesn't come back to the company for years. Yeah. Because that's the thing is that like you, he has every right to feel like Vince looked at him askance for trying to get into Hollywood and then was even madder at him for actually making it in Hollywood. And like, I'm sure Vince was genuinely bitter about that because it wasn't a good time for him to lose his biggest and most marketable star. But at the same time, don't be a fucking child about it and burn your bridge with the biggest star in Hollywood. So then the return that didn't happen, Brock Lesnar was reportedly negotiating a return to WWE. We know this doesn't end up working out. He was apparently, he liked Shane, him and Shane would talk. And he was apparently asking for a light schedule where he would only have to wrestle on the pay-per-views and Vince was not willing to accommodate that at the time. Again, incredibly short-sighted. The funniest part about that is the way that Vince literally fell over himself to give him that exact same contract. An even lighter schedule. Here it was, they were talking like he'd work eight to ten pay-per-views a year. They'd have him for basically all the pay-per-views. It's just so funny that, like, that's the precursor to what actually happens. I don't remember. If, is this before or after he was in New Japan? I can't this remember. This is before. Doesn't he go to New Japan like 06, 07? The, yeah. The, so the word is he around this time. He first he I think he wanted to sign with New Japan, but he had to get his non compete clear. Yeah, that's first. right. So he had to sue his way out of the non compete he'd agreed to. And then he was like, "Well, if I'm going to come back to wrestling, let me just offer to go back to WWE first, because you yeah. know I." I just hated the travel. I didn't really hate it there. And again, Vince in his petty mode is literally being like, nah, fuck you, bro. You left. Bye. Yeah. Okay. Very, very stupid. Like if they get Brock Lesnar back, what's he doing at this WrestleMania? Who are you putting him up against? Ooh. Paul Heyman wanted to do a thing with him and big show because of course. (sighs) Fucking endless. Ratchet show. But here's the thing. You, you will, even if you know you're getting Lesnar back, you're still doing Batista and yeah. Cena. Yeah, I mean, just finding the, another feature, probably Undertaker or Angle. You're just finding another feature match for him. Maybe Shawn Michaels, yeah. just because they've never worked together before at this point. This is fascinating because the Undertaker, once they cancel their plans with Heidenreich, which we're going to get to, oh, fuck. Taker doesn't have shit to do. Yeah. Does Lesnar break the streak here? Maybe, because Randy Orton almost did. There's no real reason why he couldn't. The streak wasn't what it would become. But, like, honestly, yeah, that's probably what it is. All right. Before we get to the show, are you ready for the depths of insanity we are going to go to in this 2005 divorce dad energy lightning round? This might get dark, you guys. Strap in. (laughs) Batista beat up La Resistance so badly that he shoved their French flagpole up their asses. I distinctly remember watching this on Raw and being like... Is he gonna? Yeah, he did it. This almost felt like like his suffering succotash moment where like, yeah. oh, they're forcing him being a baby face too much. Like, come on, man. That's that's, that's a little a, that's how you become a baby face. You sodomize some French guys. I mean, at the time it was. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Rob Van Dam got heat for refusing to go on the Tribute to the Troops show. Man, there's really like a no-win situation back then with those Tribute to the Troops. Like, hey, do you want to ride on a military airplane into an active war zone? Shut no, up. you fucking asshole. Yeah, you're unpatriotic. Jeez. Austin Aries upset Samoa Joe to end Joe's 21-month reign as Ring of Honor champion. Guess what? That hasn't aged well. <laughs> the Ultimate Fighter debuted in a, in a late-night time slot after Raw. Can't believe Vince signed off on that one. He was signing his own death warrant in hindsight. It's so fucking funny yes. that it, it originated there. And I know that it, when it really got popular was when it was following Impact, because that was like like when it actually got like Shamrock and Ortiz or whatever that one was. That's the season that like really exploded. Um, but whatever, it is funny that he would even agree to that. Like he's, you would think he would want to distance himself from real fighting as much as possible. Oh, they just don't. And like, you know, Bruce Pritchard doing his Bruce Pritchard thing on his podcast was like, oh no, we never saw UFC as competition. It's like, they ate your lunch on pay-per-view for 10 years after this. So bad you had to stop doing pay-per-views. Yes. So bad you gave up on the entire yes. premise of pay-per-views. You decided to claim pay-per-view was dying and just went away from it. People so definitively left you and went to them that they didn't even have money left over to buy your shitty pay-per-views ever again. And then they bought your company. So I guess <laughs> so I turned out in the end. Bought your company and kicked you the fuck yeah. out. Welcome to justice. Blade Trinity, which featured Triple H in a supporting role, premiered at the box office. I love me some Blade. I can't wait for this Marsala Ali Blade movie to come out. Yes, I also love Blade. Oh, um, yeah. Triple H was so fucking bad in this movie. <laughs> he was. Oh. And I love that they gave him basically the Hunter Hearst Helmsley gimmick where he's just like, you're going to carry a fluffy Pomeranian around to be all fancy and highbrow. <laughs> Sean O'Hare was defeated in 44 seconds in a K-1 fight. Why was Sean O'Hare in a real fight? I think he has started as like a kickboxer, oh, maybe? God. Or something like that. That that rings a bell. But like, yeah. There is no... Literally, in the entire history of professional wrestlers, like actual normal professional wrestlers, going into mixed martial arts, the history of people who even slightly held their own is embarrassing. It's like Shinsuke Nakamura and Bobby Lashley and Brock Lesnar and nobody else. In the main event of that show, Hoist Gracie defeated Ake Bono by submission. What was going on in these Japanese? Like, it's just you read the Observer from this time, and you're just going along, and then there'll be a news item that's like, oh yeah, Bob Sapp fought an elephant at the Tokyo Dome, and it drew sixty thousand people, and thirty million people watched it on Japanese TV. Yeah. <laughs> MMA became such a wild craze, but not in the same way it did in America, where it became recognized as like a legitimate sport. That never happened in Japan. It was like a sideshow yeah. spectacle from the very beginning. It was. If it's funny, it was more merged with pro wrestling there. I feel like. Oh, very much so. Yes. 
Shinsuke Nakamura defeated Hiroshi Tanahashi in the main event of a disastrous Tokyo Dome show that only drew 10,000 paid and 25,000 total fans. I want any time anybody ever thinks that, like, New Japan Now is on its ass or, like, that they've seen the worst there is. Guys... When Hiroshi Tanahashi and Shinsuke Nakamura made it to the top of that company, it was a fucking dumpster pile. They could only sell 10,000 tickets for the Tokyo Dome. In the Tokyo Dome. First of all, the people are so far away from the ring in the Tokyo Dome (laughs) that it's like looking out at a sea of empty seats. They're not even at ringside to make it look good. I bet they gave away 100,000 tickets to that show to get 25,000 people there. I bet they gave away way more than there were seats because so many were going to go unused anyway. Oh, yeah. I I bet you, like, every single person in the mail that week got a free ticket to the Tokyo Dome, and they were like, ew, what? (laughs) Who the fuck are these guys? The wrestler Shocker appeared in a National McDonald's commercial. Okay, this is while he was working for TNA, okay? And he got permission to, like, have that aired. He got permission from McDonald's to make reference to it at his workplace, and then they just didn't do it. Of course. Vince turned down Mick Foley's suggestion that they have a match at WrestleMania. Why why on earth would they do that at this point, Mick? I mean, I agree, but since you and I both know what's going to happen. Yeah, that would have been better. This was clearly just Mick wanting to work out his issues with Vince and just be like, well, why don't we just fight each other then? You don't, yeah. like, any, you don't like any of my storyline ideas anymore. What Mick wanted was therapy with Vince McMahon yeah. at WrestleMania. For Vince to love him. Yeah, Vince isn't your actual dad, Mick. Chill out. Fans chanted TNA is better during an Undertaker versus Heidenreich <laughs> match at a house show. Do you remember the time when WWE was so bad that people were like, yeah, man, Impact. <laughs> That's the best show there is. Backstage at New Year's Revolution, Ric Flair had a confrontation with Victor Quinones, in which Flair claimed Quinones owed his son David $530. The specificity of that number is what makes it. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Larry Zbysko attempted to qualify for the PGA Senior Tour. I wouldn't be surprised if he was actually good enough to be in the vicinity of that. I bet Larry's got a good handicap. I bet Larry can play golf. God knows he played a lot. I bet, I guarantee you, when he was announcing for WCW, I'm sure he was just going around the country playing the golf courses in every town they went to. You know what? And I bet that he would have become a big star if he had made it to the senior tour. Just because, like, Yeah. yeah, fucking put a microphone in front of Larry Legend and let him cut promos on guys. Ahmed Johnson saved a woman from being abducted. When her attacker saw Johnson drive up and get out of the car, he ran away and was subsequently caught by the police. Wouldn't Don't blame you him. run Don't away if I'm... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, if Big T showed up, I'd get the fuck out of there. Yeah, if the blimp known as Ahmed Johnson floated into your town and said, hey. <laughs> Might have weighed I, 400 pounds by that point. Man... <laughs> But good on Ahmed for, like, saving a person. Fuck. 
Better than I've ever done. Shit. Paul Heyman suggested Triple H, Flair, and Michaels form a group that would be the equivalent of the Millionaires Club in WCW. Paul gets sent home right around this time. I what I love most about Paul's that idea. Trying to get fired at this point. They should have just had like some jabronis on the roster, like carry like seven, 25 world titles behind them to be like, yeah, these are all our belts. <laughs> Meltzer speculated Steve Austin would wrestle Muhammad Hassan at WrestleMania. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's not super far off because doesn't no. Hogan do that at this WrestleMania? He doesn't have, they don't have a match, but he beats him up. Yeah, honestly, yeah. if they got Austin in the ring at this point, it probably would have been against Hassan. God, no wonder they couldn't get him. Yeah. Like his horse it, got it, sick. It became clear much later that he was just waiting for somebody good enough in the ring to make him feel good about himself wrestling a match, and that was not going to be Muhammad Hassan. Danny Hodge was beaten up by Evolution on an episode of Raw in Oklahoma City. You know this was a work because Danny Hodge could have whooped all of them. Yeah, it was Even just a was rip 70. on Jr. to like yeah. make him watch Danny Hodge get beaten up, <laughs> knowing that Danny Hodge could take them all. Hooters, stop showing WWE pay-per-views due to WWE asking for exorbitant fees. Now, I want to be clear about this. I watched all the pay-per-views yeah. at Hooters at that time. Because, yeah. honestly, that was just the most convenient place to do it. That was a big blow for you. I mean, I don't like Hooters. It's kind of like a skeevy-ass place is. to go. But, like, I just roll up, like, with my band of weirdos. And we just yeah. watch wrestling pay-per-views in the back corner away from everybody else. Meltzer reported that certain indie promotions were starting to run shows that were free for fans to attend and making money by charging the wrestlers to appear on the shows. What? Oh my God, can you imagine this? That is such a scam. It's crazy. The thing that's most comparable would be, like, around this time you'd hear about indie shows that had, like, 30 matches on them. And it was just because they were booking guys to get the guys to sell tickets to, like, their friends and family. Right. And, like, it was like, okay, we'll book the guy, pay him 50 bucks, and he'll sell. We'll probably tell him he has to sell 10 tickets. And then they just take, like, the three best matches and slap them together on a DVD and sell it. Dory Funk and Tully Blanchard wrestled to a 30-minute draw on a show in Valdosta, Georgia. They went... To a fucking yeah. Broadway? <laughs> 30 minutes. Dory Funk had to be well into his 60s. That's fucking crazy. Uh, New Jack visited the Raw taping in Fort Lauderdale. Oh, this is the hammer. New Jack visited the Raw taping in Fort Lauderdale and suggested he should turn out to be the guy who stabbed John Cena during his feud with Carlito. New Jack watching the shows and coming up with creative for himself. It was so hard for so long to separate this story from people genuinely believing that it was going to be New Jack. <laughs> and I don't know how seriously they consider that absolutely crazy fucking idea. That amazing, awesome idea. But of course they didn't consider that. What if... And instead of debuting Jesus with Carlito, Carlito's like, yeah, I got a friend who did me a favor in the natural born thrillers place. Oh, God. 
All right. Not so little Steve would have been bumping for that. Oh my god. I would have lost my fucking mind if New Jack had shown up on WWE <laughs> TV at this point. Or at any point. Just like carrying a knife. Just like, yeah, oh. I'm the stabbing guy. He's got his blade with him. All right. To get into the show, it's Sunday, January the 30th, 2005. We're at the Save Mart Center in Fresno, California. It's about 12,000 people on hand. Basically sold out. Not a very big arena. I don't really know why they're running the Royal Rumble in Fresno. Especially since they're coming back to California for WrestleMania in a few months. That is the thing. is that yeah. It feels super fucking weird. Uh, they do 575,000 buys. That's a pretty good number. Uh, they did 582 the previous year. So holding up well. And this is at a time where pretty much every single year, like clockwork, that number yeah. was coming down. And this is like the first time it's sort of like held off the regression. It's not all the way back yet, but there was definitely reason to be excited. On commentary, we've got Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler from Raw and Michael Cole and Taz from SmackDown. This is when I think in my head of WWE announced teams, this will always be what it is. Cause I feel like they really like distilled the essence of those two shows and they feel different from each other. Like they have individual identities, you know, in the dark match or on heat Maven defeated Rhino in seven minutes and one second. Yes. We are in the midst of the great Maven heel push of 2005. <laughs> How was that not a Royal Rumble qualifying match? Should have been. That's a really good question. I don't know how Maven didn't make it into this Rumble. Because he was should actually getting a pretty good Should push. have been in the Rumble every year after eliminating it. They should have just called back to that Undertaker spot every single year after it yeah, happened. Have him run up and dropkick somebody every single time, yes. Uh, it's a quick opening promo about the importance in the history of the Rumble. This set is a little weird. It looks like an unfinished cityscape. Yeah, there's just like a bunch of shit in the way, too. Like every time somebody comes out, they just have to walk around like a bunch of netting and it's stuff. Like it's fencing, tr some trash cans, some signs. Like it sort of feels like a callback to the 2000 Rumble we did last week, but not a good one. Yeah, no, they don't need to call that back. That was the ugliest, shittiest Rumble of all time. Opening match. We've got Edge against Shawn Michaels. That is quite the opening match. Yes. When I said the great Maven heel run of 2005, that was a joke. The great Edge heel run of 2005 is very much alive and well. All the way back at Taboo Tuesday in October, the fans voted for Shawn over Edge to wrestle Triple H for the world title, which led to Edge turning heel and costing Shawn the match. I was glad they finally embraced his bitterness. As much of we've, as we've buried some of the booking on this show already, and we're definitely going to bury more as we go on into this show, I want to give a shout-out to what they do with Edge here. Because like this is very much how the real Edge is feeling at this time. Yeah. He missed his opportunity when he got hurt. He was definitely going to be like the new big baby face. Now Cena and Batista and Orton are all passing him by. He's bitter. His push, the I don't like you push, didn't work. Total failure. And so they they use Taboo Tuesday in this brilliant way because they know nobody's going to pick Edge. So Edge they know sucks. this story's going to work. Yeah. Edge is incredibly lame. No one would ever vote for that loser. 
So they have like a ready-made story then because the fans literally are going to choose Sean over him. Uh, Sean starts fast here. He knocks Edge out of the ring. Edge turns the tide with an Edge-O-Matic on the floor and works Sean over for a couple minutes. Sean finally gets the advantage with some punches. Edge bails to the floor, but Sean chases him down the aisle. Edge catches Sean with a spear on the floor, and Sean just barely... Beats the count back into the ring. Um, once they go back in the ring, Edge hits another spear, but Sean kicks out at two. Sean makes a comeback, but he misses the elbow drop. He tunes up the band. Edge counters the kick into an electric chair drop for a close two count. Love that counter. Man, I, I, there really aren't that many people who can pull off an electric chair drop. Because if you think about that move, like it's basically lifting people up with your neck muscles. Yeah. Uh, Edge gets Sean in the educator, but Sean is able to get to the ropes. Sean goes for an Oklahoma roll, but Edge counters and grabs the ropes for the pin. A good match. I don't think they quite did what they were capable of here. I don't know if at this time they were thinking they were going to like take this one to WrestleMania, so maybe they were saving something for that. But obviously they end up going in different directions for WrestleMania. I mean, this was sort of like an audition for Edge for the main event because, like, they're trying out this new heel character for him. And, like, this is basically the first feud that he's going to be a part of. And if you think about it, he hasn't really been a heel since he was, like, reeks of awesomeness, Edge and Christian. And, like, I don't know that, like, they were super comfortable with how he was actually going to do it. As a proof of concept, this is pretty good, but you would never guess that he's going to get to the rated R superstar looking at him here. No. Uh, backstage, we've got Teddy Long and Eric Bischoff talking trash to each other, and then Guerrero and Flair come in to draw their numbers. Uh, Flair is happy with his. Eddie's unhappy. Uh, Eddie hugs him, and it turns out he stole their numbers. This is... Excellent. First of all, this this whole backstage concept that the guys have to come in yeah. and draw their numbers while Teddy Long and Eric Bischoff talk shit to each other <laughs> is just genius all the way through. And the 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 steady feud that they're building between Raw and SmackDown throughout yeah. the entire course of the show is so well done. And they're not going to blow that off until Survivor Series in the fall. It's just going to simmer all year. It's just, it's so incredibly well put together. Like, it's not, like, on the boil yet. It's just everybody's sniping at each other. Raw's better. SmackDown's better. Jim Ross is sniping at Taz and vice versa. Like, it just feels like a very real rivalry of two groups pushed together for this really big show. I love that. Um, And then this segment has some of the best comedic acting you will ever see. From Ric Flair's, like, patting his pockets and being like, what? Guerrero! It was Guerrero! <laughs> to Eddie's to all, Eddie sells the whole thing with just facial expressions. Yeah. You understand the whole story. I don't think any other two guys could have pulled this off this well. No, no way. Yeah. Even like the, the little moment where uh, Eddie goes to dap Flair up and he's just like, oh, the ethnic high five. I know how to do that. <laughs> Then we see Heidenreich back in his locker room talking to himself about how he hates caskets. Snitsky shows up and they talk. They both say they like each other while breathing very heavily. It is extremely homoerotic. Look, 
I'm not saying this just because of how homoerotic it is, but I'm also not not saying it because of how homoerotic it is. I loved this storyline. I loved it then. I thought I was going to hate it now. Fuck that. This is amazing television. These two fucking weirdos, like, coming into each other's orbit and turning out that they were, like, secret admirers of yeah. each other is being like, perfect. I like your poetry. I like what you do to babies. I just wonder at what point they the writers realized, like, hey, we have one yeah. super fucking weirdo on each show. What if we teamed them up? God. And then we've got the casket match. The Undertaker takes on Heidenreich. Like, if I told you that you were going to watch a 13-minute Undertaker oh. Heidenreich match, you would ask what you had done in a previous life to deserve that. What did The Undertaker do to deserve this? Like, and like, He's one of their franchise players, and they give him this garbage. Honestly, I think that like the tag match Undertaker and Kane versus Heidenreich and Snitsky at WrestleMania should could have, have actually been pretty decent. If I'm being totally honest, I think it should have happened. If Snitsky only wasn't honestly, Snitsky wasn't bad. Snitsky's probably underrated. Right. And you can keep that short. And really, it just gives you an iconic Brothers of Destruction moment. Right. Like, I think that that's sort of missing from the WrestleMania annals of The Undertaker. But I mean, that's neither here nor there. I don't know how much more they could have wrung the juice out of this particular storyline. But I think they've already decided here that they're not going forward with it. So I did some research on Heidenreich for this. Okay. He was a professional football player who was nice. actually a teammate of Bill Goldberg's with the Atlanta Falcons in the 90s. Yeah, because he's super fucking old. Nobody really thought knew that about him at the time, but he was like 45 when he started. Um, this was his second stint with WWE after he had previously been let go from the developmental program. Bruce Pritchard reportedly was very impressed with him. I mean, he's a big fucking guy. He's got a great look. Like if you yeah. were casting like a henchman in a movie it would be perfect, but I just don't think wrestling was for him. And here's the thing. Like, you can fault him for many things, but most of what people thought was shitty about him is he obviously couldn't work worth a damn, and his gimmick was absolutely insane. But are you going to blame him for his absolute steadfast commitment to this wild-ass character? No. Committed to and, the bet. And then when he turned babyface and became a, a, a legion good, a road dude, warrior. Yeah, yeah he, he was fucking good. Like, that got over. <laughs> He was initially on Raw, and he would appear in segments, I think frequently with R-Truth, talking about Little Johnny, which I thought was his penis. I, of course, thought that was his oh, penis, okay. yes. Everybody, everybody was on that one? Okay. I, I, I hope that that's what it was. It doesn't make sense otherwise. Also, did R-Truth just straight up steal yes. this? Yes, this is, uh, this is where he got Little Jimmy from. This is the best part, because at this point, our truths in TNA, and I bet you he and the boys in TNA are watching this shit and just clowning oh, it. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, our truth gets a WWE and just rips it off. I think Little Johnny was going to turn out to be his repressed evil personality from when he was bullied as a kid, but the storyline was dropped. That's something. Yeah. Yeah. And then he showed up on SmackDown with Paul Heyman as his manager. Famously, and this is, somebody admitted this 
publicly in an interview that they pitched that the hide and right character, this is Dan Madigan. He pitched that Heidenreich should return as a Nazi stormtrooper named Baron von Vava, who had been cryogenically frozen before being revived by Paul Heyman, complete with Heidenreich wearing a red armband with the swastika and goose stepping to the ring. Now, <laughs> guys. Some guy admits all this. This Dan Madigan guy. Like, this isn't like just something he threw off during a meeting like, oh, hey, uh, what if we made him a fucking Nazi? I don't know. No, he had to like make a whole workup for this, a whole treatment. He submitted this idea to Vince. Vince and was reportedly so horrified, he left without saying a word and just like went home for the day. My favorite part about that, though, is that like Vince clearly liked the Nazi imagery part, yeah. just not the actual being a Nazi part, because the hi did like is just some Nazi shit. Yeah, I mean he's definitely a little fashy. He's got some Ludwig Borga to him. If you told me that his character, as portrayed here, is like a Nazi? a Nazi assassin who was unfrozen from World War II and was trying sure. to get accustomed to the world, that's this guy. That's yeah, the character sense. he's playing. And they had Paul Heyman manage him because they thought that was hilarious. And again, they were probably trying to get Heyman to quit. The fact that it's Paul Heyman's voice saying, hi, Din. Yeah, because right. he's managing him. Yeah, that's fucked up, guys. <laughs> Paul Heyman is, of up. course, Jewish. I believe, like, has ancestors who were killed in the Holocaust. He does, yes. Yeah. You're making this man say Reich, really? <laughs> Gotta get your jolly somehow, I guess. I just love the idea of Vince being so offended and then come back, coming back into the room being like, well, we can salvage some of that. <laughs> well, it's just turning a dial that says racism and seeing how much the crowd applauds. It's okay for people to be Nazis or seem like Nazis. You're just not supposed it's to just, say it. You're just not supposed to say it. <laughs> this match. Look, they have like five minutes of stuff to do here. This should have been yeah. quick. And instead they end up going 13 minutes. When they went out onto the floor and down the down the aisle, I was like, oh, no, that means this is going to last a long time. <laughs> yeah. No. After a couple minutes, Snitsky shows up and attacks Undertaker. Then the crowd actually gets fired up chanting for Kane. They ask for the casket to be opened, and who's inside but the big red machine Kane? He has to get revenge for the fact that Snitsky killed his unborn child. Yeah, that thing that Snitsky... The famous scene where Heidenreich and Sinsky meet, and he goes, uh, 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 I like your poetry. Uh, uh, I like what you do to babies. <clears throat> the thing that you do to babies is punt them into the third row after murdering someone's baby. Yeah. It was actually a huge pop for Kane showing up. This is why I think it doesn't matter that it's Snitsky and Heidenreich. Honestly, it doesn't. It's just an excuse to get the Brothers of Destruction back together for a WrestleMania. And I honestly think that that's worth it. So Kane fights Snitsky off. And for some reason, the match goes another, I don't know, at least five minutes out. Like, once the Kane-Snitsky thing is done, this should be Chokeslam Tombstone in the casket. 
Oh, yeah. It should have been a double choke slam on both guys and then kick them into the casket and it's done. And then if you want to continue it, you can or you can just blow it off right there. But yeah, finally, Undertaker gets the win with the choke slam and the tombstone. Foul. (laughs) Just wretched. I'm sure Undertaker went backstage and was like, I'm never wrestling that guy again. Find, Find me a real opponent for WrestleMania. I wouldn't be surprised. Backstage, Teddy Long tells Eddie he needs to give him Flair's number back. Evolution shows up. Eddie gives back the number. Teddy also gets Flair's wallet from Eddie. That was extremely good. He's like, Eddie, and the other thing, too. He hands him a giant wallet. The idea that only Teddy Long is, like, smart enough to actually manage Eddie Guerrero. Uh, Triple H and Batista argue about whether they're going to go over their game plan now or Batista's going to go get his number for the Rumble. And, like, Batista, again, this is perfect. Batista's just like, no, man, I'm just going to get my number number for the Rumble. No big deal. And Triple H's like, no, we're going to talk about it now. And then, like, Batista has these moments, and they're so good, where he'll just be, like, casual, uh, and then a switch will turn, and he'll be like, I'm ready to fucking kill you now. And, like, throughout his career, he has the ability to do that, most famously when he turns on Rey Mysterio. Yeah. Uh, and it's just chilling. <laughs> he then has the s- capacity to kill you. And then we get another iconic backstage segment. Bischoff is hanging out with Christian and Tom Coe. Um, Christian draws his number. Then John Cena shows up. Christian says he's a better rapper than Cena. And... Famously, he asks Tom Coe to give him a beat, and Tom Coe says no. This is the time where Christian is only really just starting to get, like, ahead with this character. Uh, he's got Tom Coe now. Trish got hurt, I think, so that's off. But, like, this is really the moment that he starts to, like, explode as a personality that we're, like, and everyone falls in love with him. Like, this was a meme before there were memes. Yeah, I think this was really the moment everybody got super into Christian because this was hilarious. Tom, give me a beat. No. No. And he cuts a really terrible, not really rap. And then John Cena proceeds to cut a freestyle with at least seven homophobic jokes in it. Super homophobic. Every single fucking freestyle line John Cena does is homophobic. Every single one. And then we've got a WWE Championship triple threat match as John Bradshaw Layfield defends against Kurt Angle in the big show. Guys, as good as the backstage segments are on this show, like the actual in-ring product is not up to par. What are these matches? Like, why do we need this? Why? Yeah, the previous month, they had a badass four-way with uh, JBL, Eddie, Booker, and Undertaker, I think. Yeah. That was great. This is... They, they just get the, it in their heads that, like, all right, we need to seem like the deck is just constantly stacking higher and higher against JBL, which, okay, I understand that. But, like, no one wants this. No one wants the big show. Stop it with the big show. Man, this is certainly one of the times they tried to give him a push. <laughs> Culminating in him having to sumo wrestle Akibono. That's the thing. And us having to see his full dick and balls in taint. 
This is a match where, like, coming in, you'd be like, all right, maybe Kurt will win the belt and he'll face Cena at WrestleMania. Because at this point, we know Cena's going to WrestleMania. He's all SmackDown yeah. has. Like, it's, there's no question about it. Uh, instead, Kurt's going to take a clean pinfall and we're going to go to a big show versus JBL barbed wire cage match. Yeah. What the fuck? Point. This match is pretty good. Kurt brought his working boots here. He did. Absolutely, he did. Um, Like, it is pretty good. It's just weird. Uh, And they're playing it off that, like, well, this is weird. Because at one point, JBL gets hit so hard that he's, like, playing that he has a concussion. I think he might have actually. But the thing about that is it's very funny. Because the plot of the next match is that somebody gets a concussion. Does nobody talk to each other in this company? Well, no, because they're separate brands. They're yeah. not allowed to talk to each other. Yeah, Heyman got fired because he was listening in on the other brands' conference calls. But this is one of those quality <laughs> control things that drives you crazy in wrestling. How do you do two concussion angles in back-to-back matches? Triple H must have been fucking furious watching this match. Being like, That's the whole shirt? premise of our match. Yeah. Uh, yeah, JBL gets speared through the uh, guardrail by Big Show. Um Big Show is beating up Kurt in the ring when Mark Jindrak pulls the referee out of the ring and Luther Reigns attacks the Big Show. This was Kurt Stable at the time that I always forget about. Did this I don't have even a know. name? I don't, I don't think they even gave it a name. I, we always used to call it the Angle Alliance, but I don't think it was actually called that at all. I don't no. think they ever were given a name. They it's such an way example. Too much to give them a name. Well, they were like. Well, you know, he got over Team Angle, and that was a big thing. So, like, what if we made it, like, a new stable with up-and-comers? No. (laughs) Didn't work this time. As this is happening, Orlando Jordan throws JBL back in the ring, and then JBL hits Angle with the clothesline from hell and pins him. Just very odd. That was really strange. But they have a plan for Angle, and that's going to wind up being just fine. (laughs) Backstage, Carlito tries to get Batista to sign his petition to remove Teddy Long as SmackDown GM. Batista won't do it. Um, uh, Batista goes into his office to draw his number. Long and Bischoff are bickering about how much interference there was in that last match, and Bischoff says... He's barring Evolution from ringside for the World Heavyweight title match. Again, I love how passive Batista is during this segment. He's, like, no. He's just wandering down the hallway. Carlito is a little little dickhead. He like goes like he's going to spit the apple in Batista's face. Batista's like, I wouldn't do that. I'll kill you. And Carlito, for the first time ever, swallows the apple and leaves. And then he goes into the office and he just takes his number while all that's happening in the background. And they're like, hey, Batista, go tell Triple H about there's no interference. And then he gets like a little smile on his face and like, oh, I'll go tell him. It just it makes you fall in love with this dude, this super fucking cool guy. Uh, Find the real by Alter Bridge is our theme song tonight. Which is weird because. So, did Edge have his Alter Bridge music at this point? Yeah. Okay, he did? Okay. So, I was like, how did they even get to Alter Bridge at this point? But that makes more sense. And then we've got our World Heavyweight Championship match as Triple H defends against Randy Orton. Um, 
man, this is a bad time for Triple H's hair. I don't know what he's doing here, but it's not working. It's like, so he's decided to stop like wetting it as much yeah. as he used to. So it's like super dry and puffy. It looks like straw. Like he's starting to get like Hogan hair a little bit. And it's like a whole ass pro. It's like he's genuinely trying to make himself look like 1979 Ric Flair. Mixed with Harley Race's fucking weird mutton chop mustache. Orton starts fast as a loud Triple H chant breaks out. Jesus. (laughs) Oh, man. 22 minutes left to go. (laughs) Orton goes for an RKO, and Triple H counters by throwing Orton over the top to the floor, and then he throws him into the steps. Uh, When they go back to the ring, Triple H clips Orton's knee, and then he just works the knee over for several minutes, including putting him in the figure four. Um, Orton makes a comeback, but Triple H shuts it down by taking out the knee. Orton manages to make it to the top, and he hits a diving crossbody. Orton goes for the RKO again, but Triple H blocks it and levels Orton with his high knee. Orton manages to turn the tide. It's Randy. Randy hasn't come up with it. Like Randy has one of the great like comeback sequences ever, where he hits like the clotheslines and then the backbreaker and then the power slam. He doesn't have any of that yet. So no, he's got no offense. Are just a bunch of right hands. Because as a heel, his whole move set was just headlocks. headlocks and then the RKO. Uh, he goes for a DDT, but Triple H blocks it. At this point, the announcers start putting over that Orton has a concussion. And I'm going to give Randy Orton credit here because like I, you would think that he really does. Like he goes super glassy eyed yeah. and then he sells this shit hard, which I don't know how okay I am with that. Yeah, <laughs> like it's just selling. If somebody did this now, though, it would be a little bit in poor taste. It it really would. But like, people, get, people have gotten very upset about some Brian Danielson selling in recent months. Yeah. Again, I don't give a shit. I, I genuinely think this is a really good performance by Randy as he like tries to like sort through the fog and like actually continue on in the match and he just doesn't have it. Orton makes it back in the ring. Earl Hebner gets knocked down. Triple H gets the sledgehammer. He stalks Orton, but Orton manages to slam him into the ring post. Orton gets the hammer, but Triple H cuts him off with a clothesline. And then Triple H pedigrees Orton and pins his ass. Triple H picks up the hammer, notices Earl Hebner's getting up, chucks the hammer away like whoops, and then just hits a pedigree and pins him clean. Come on, guys. Fucking set him on fire while you're at it. Triple H never beat anyone clean in this era. No. There's no interference from anybody during the No hammer. Nothing. Not even a blow. Yeah. Not even like that delayed pedigree where the guy gets to kick out and then you hit him with a second one. No. Orton gets the RKO countered 30 times, gets a concussion. Triple H beats his skinny ass clean. Batista interfering. like, But Triple H needed Batista's help here. Feels like it would have made sense and advanced that story. And Batista looking like uncomfortable with it yeah. but still doing it. Sure. All right. That makes sense to me. 
<sighs> but they probably don't want to do that because this is like Batista's triumphant yeah. like moment. Like they don't want to like taint it with some heel shit. Yeah. Not a very good match. I wasn't wasn't really into that. Like I wanted to like it more because like I thought Randy did the best that he could, but like Triple H knew this was a pot of shit and he treated it like it. <laughs> Backstage, Angle runs into Nunzio and takes his number for the Rumble. This is just like a murderer's row of great backstage segments. Yeah. Nunzio's walking through the back like, oh man, I'm going to be in the Royal Rumble. This is so great. And he's like tossing it up in the air and Angle just grabs it out of the air and just like, fight me for it. And Nunzio's like, no, well, <laughs> I'm good. Get back to the hotel, get some room service. Yeah. Uh, we go back to Long and Bischoff in the office. JBL in the cabinet burst in celebrating. JBL is very drunk. JBL says has some great several, one-liners. He says several racist things to Teddy here. Some extremely <laughs> racist things. Holy shit. Yeah. And Just... then Teddy tells him he's going to have to defend the title against Big Show at No Way Out in a barbed wire steel cage match. Which, like, at the time, uh, looking back on it now, that seems weird. At the time, it was, like, from space. What the fuck do you mean a barbed wire? They didn't do shit like that then. Not since Mick Foley retired. Like, this is fucking madness. We haven't even done, we haven't done the Flaming Tables match or anything like that yet. Like, we haven't done anything this hardcore since the street fight at 2000. (laughs) And then it's time for the Royal Rumble match. The Royal Rumble match. Out first, number one is Eddie Guerrero. And number two, Chris Benoit. That's a hell of a way to get it started. This kicks ass. What a great way to start the Rumble. And then... Number number three is that little shithead Daniel Pewter, the guy who won Tough Enough after he almost broke Kurt Angle's arm in a shoot fight. Do you think Daniel Pewter knew how much heat he had before he came out here? No, I don't think so. He seemed pretty oblivious. Because here's the thing. I always believed back in these days that, like, the rumble was, like, timed and, like, choreographed, like, aggressively. Finding out years later that actually they're only told when they go and who throws them. Like, really, everything they do in the ring, they just fucking make up for the most part. Uh, So what they're about to do to Daniel Pewter was a premeditated murder that Daniel Pewter was not in on. Yeah, this was I mean, I don't think I don't think he was in on this, but they definitely I'm sure, you know, Bruce or whoever put this together told Benoit and Guerrero. And like, hey, stiff this kid. Like, we want this to be, you know, the veterans teaching the rookie a lesson. Oh, we know it's premeditated because of who comes in next. <laughs> yeah, so he gets his ass beat by Guerrero and Benoit, but like, it's okay. It's, it's some hard chops, but not crazy. And then number four is Hardcore Holly. If you're Daniel Pewter, Jesus would Christ. your heart just drop through the floor when you hear that music? Yeah. I might have jumped over the ropes at that point. Jesus. Holly proceeds to hit him with some of the stiffest charm. And then Alabama slam with stank on it. 
the moment where like Benoit and Guerrero like square up with Holly, and he's just like, wait, 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 I'm not even here to try to win. I just want to beat this kid's ass. <laughs> and they're like, go for it, buddy. Uh, Holly throws Pewter out. The Hurricane comes in number five. Tough Hurricane. Who knew that Hurricane was even still here? <laughs> He's out after a minute. For a minute. Uh, number six, Kenzo Suzuki. Speaking of people I didn't know were still here. Oh, boy. What's your favorite Kenzo Suzuki match, Steve? Uh, who did he wrestle on that terrible Judgment Day show? Scotty? God, I don't even... I don't even remember. Was it Scotty Too Hot? No, Mordecai wrestled Scotty Too Hot. Scotty Too Hot, yeah. Uh, oh, I think it was like Charlie Haas. Of Oof. all the Japanese wrestlers to sign, why Kenzo Suzuki? Well, the funny thing about that, Steve, is that it wasn't supposed to be Kenzo Suzuki. Because Kenzo Suzuki was in a tag team with another Japanese wrestler who was actually supposed to be the one to get signed. But when they got there, they thought he was kind of small. So they went with Kenzo Suzuki instead. And that man's name was Hiroshi Tanahashi. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. They sent Johnny Ace over to Japan to get Hiroshi Tanahashi. And he brought back Kenzo Suzuki. Yep, yep, yep. Jesus Christ. New Japan would have gone out of business without Tanahashi, right? Without even a whisper of a doubt, yes. Absolutely would have gone out of business. And we'd be talking about, like, how pro wrestling Noah is running the Tokyo Dome every January 4th. I want to be clear. I don't know that any one wrestler has ever actually carried a company to the extent that Tanahashi did during that period. At least without the company actually succeeding. Because, like... You could say that some people carried shitty companies through bad times, but not that they actually got better. Seven is Edge. Eight is Mysterio. Mysterio quickly eliminates Kenzo. Nine is the Intercontinental Champion, Shelton Benjamin. Number 10 is Booker T. At this point, Bischoff runs down to ringside. Then 11 and 12 is Luther Reigns. Teddy Long comes down. They do a spot where the Raw guys and the SmackDown guys, like the Raw guys go to one side of the ring, the side of the ring, the other side of the ring, and then they fight. A big reaction. People actually were into that. I, again, think about all the times they've tried to make Raw versus SmackDown yeah. work. It works so infrequently. But in this one case, like the fans were actually like, oh, fuck yeah, we've been waiting to see these guys square up. Let's go. So Benoit was still on Raw at this point, so the Raw guys are Benoit, Edge, Jericho, and Booker. Yeah. Was Booker on SmackDown? No, he was on SmackDown. Yeah, like, in hindsight, at the time you would have known who was on which show, but, like, watching it back years later, it all bleeds together. Yeah, so Benjamin is the other one on Raw, and then it's Booker, Mysterio... Uh, uh, Luther Guerrero. and Eddie, yeah, yeah, uh, and like the funny, they deliberately picked characters that like we would know. These people don't fucking like each other at all, but like it's fucking Raw versus SmackDown, baby. Like allies are allies. And then number thirteen is Muhammad Hassan, and all the guys team up to throw him out. 
Yeah, the moment where they they all just look at each other and just like, well, we hate yeah, each other, yeah, but yeah. fuck this guy. <laughs> he has so much heat. There was a point at which the Muhammad Hassan character, I will argue, was a good idea that was working. And the, then they just deviated the off. Right. I'm not a terrorist. I'm an American. But you people treat me like shit. That was actually a good character. Yeah, and those initial they, promos were made of an actual terrorist. Yeah, the thing where they, like, sacrificed Divari with, like, the martyr shit. Like, that was not... Like, I don't know what the fuck they were thinking in any context. Like, they act like, well, it was just because of the terrorist attack that people thought that was a bad idea. No, it's just an insensitive bad idea. It was compounded by the fact that it happened, it aired the same day as the right. London subway bombings. But it wouldn't have been received well regardless. Now, that was going to be a problem anyway, I think. Yeah. 14 is Orlando Jordan. 15 is Scotty Too Hottie, but he gets attacked by Hassan before he can make it to the ring, and he never actually enters the match. I don't know why Hassan randomly attacks Scotty Tuhati here. Is it just to get his heat back? I get his heat back. I guess. Uh, Charlie Haas is number 16. Uh, Reigns and Jordan are both eliminated by Booker, and then Eddie throws Booker out. Uh, 17 is Rene Dupree. Shelton jumps up to the top rope, but then gets pushed off by Edge and eliminated. Fucking idiot. He's the, my favorite thing about this rumble, right? In the first 10 or in the first 11 people, there are five guys who go like 28 minutes or more. And here in the middle, everyone's just getting thrown out after like a minute. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Number 18 is Simon Dean. When his music hit, I was just like, oh, oh, si oh Simon D. <laughs> he spends a bunch of time doing, like, squats and jumping jacks outside the ring. That was funny. Yeah, and then he gets eliminated in 20 seconds. I'm yeah. glad Simon Dean is here, because without him, we would not have that image of Bobby Lashley looking at a stack of cheeseburgers. <laughs> and I love that image. Number 19 is Shawn Michaels, who throws out Dean. A little uh, bit better. Right before this edge threw out Eddie. Boo. I kind of wish they just let Eddie go the distance. I wish they had let... I wish the final four... Well, they couldn't do that because of Cena and Batista. Could have been Eddie, but, Benoit, Cena, Batista. I, I just like that. Like, the fucking workhorses and then the new generation. The guys from last year versus the guys from this year. Yeah. Number 20 is Kurt Angle. He comes in on fire and suplexes everybody. He gets Sean in the ankle lock, but Sean rolls through it and then hits Kurt with sweet chin music to eliminate him in 37 seconds. This Brilliant. is the best because yeah. this humiliates Kurt Angle for the second time tonight. And oh, Kurt yeah. cannot handle it. Yeah. For some insane reason, number 21 is Jonathan Coachman, and he lasts over 10 minutes. We, they don't explain this. They don't oh. say it was for, like, he won, like, a prize from Bischoff or he's being punished or whatever. He doesn't get thrown out right away. He just stays in. Do you like think this is a rib on coach that they, like, made him work this hard? I guess. In that case, put him in number two and make him go the distance. God, he would have died. <laughs> 
Number 22 is Mark Jindrak, The Reflection of Perfection. Woof. At this point, Kurt jumps back in the ring and eliminates Sean, and then he hits Sean with the steps, and we're set for that WrestleMania match. It's such a simple build to a match, but they understand that, like, the two names next to each other does all the selling. Like, it doesn't fucking matter what the story is. (laughs) Number 23 is Viscera. 24 is Paul London. Uh, Dupree does the French Tickler dance, and Jericho sneaks sneaks up on him to eliminate him. And then Jericho does the French Tickler. That was pretty good. That's probably the best thing Jericho did this whole year. It's not a memorable year for Chris Jericho. No. Uh, John Cena, number 25, to a huge pop, and he immediately eliminates Viscera. It is so strange to hear Cena get cheered. He's massively over with everyone. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember if he had the My Time Is Now theme yet, or maybe he switches to that right after this. Yeah, no, I think this is basic thugonomics. Yeah. With, With the My Time Is Now, it's just Pavlovian to me that I hear booze when I hear it. The whole point of the My Time is now is that it was made for the run-up to WrestleMania. Like, that that was the entire was purpose time. of that yeah, song. Yeah, makes sense. Number Which 26. Which is why it's weird to listen to it 30 years later. Gene Snitsky, a.k.a. Shitsky. After botching his, helping his buddy earlier on, he's out here to fail some more. He eliminates London with a clothesline where London does a backflip <laughs> off the apron and lands face first on the floor. Jesus Christ. So this is our first meta Royal uh, Rumble moment yeah. where like clearly Paul London has seen the Taka Mishinoku spot yeah. a million times. And he's like, what if I just did a shooting star press and landed on my face? Like, come on, let's do it. <laughs> And then some EMTs come out and they just haphazardly throw him on the stretcher. And they don't even pretend like they're trying <laughs> to help him. Just dump him on the stretcher like a sack of shit. What is that? Sorry, that was an alarm. <laughs> uh, Kane is number 27. He starts choke slamming everybody. 28 is Batista. Um... Huge pop. He immediately eliminates Snitsky with a clothesline. He Batista bombs Kane. He eliminates Jericho with a press slam. Uh, Christian comes down number 29 with Tomko backing him up. He's got his good music now. (laughs) Yeah, he's got the uh, tattoo knockoff. Yeah. Um, Cena slams Kane over the top. For the elimination and then number 30 is rick flair so we've got flair batista cena mysterio benoit coach christian and edge we got eight guys fucking edge the workhorse of this night he puts in like over an hour of ring time tonight yeah that's the crazy thing is most of the time like most of the guys who did double duty in this match weren't in for very long you know sean was only in for like two minutes Kurt was only in for 30 seconds. Yeah, Edge does over like 30 minutes here after he did a 20-minute match to open the show. Yeah, Benoit has the longest run at 47, but Edge goes 40, and it's like, that's That's fucking nuts. After he already had a long match earlier in the night. It's wild. Um, 
Flair eliminates Coach. Batista press slams Christian over the top onto Tomko. Uh, Batista hits a spine buster on Benoit, and then him and Flair throw Benoit out. Flair tries to double-cross Batista, which distracts Flair for long enough for Mysterio and Edge to dropkick him, and then Edge eliminates Flair. So we're down to our final four. We've got Edge, Mysterio, Cena, and Batista. Now, I kind of wish... It makes more sense if this is like Batista and Flair versus Cena and Mysterio, right? It's like representatives of the two brands, like the two big stars and like a little sidekick kind of thing. I don't Some know. Interesting dynamic. Yeah. Instead, what we get is just kind of a, a final four of like guys they're pushing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Edge hits Batista and Cena with spears. Ray gets Edge with the 619, but Edge ducks the senton, throws him out to the apron and then eliminates him with the spear. Edge then charges Cena and Batista and gets backdropped over the top for the elimination. So we're down to just Batista and Cena. Um, you know, on some level it makes sense to go with the two guys you're pushing, but you know, did you really want to put these guys up against each other and somebody had to get cheered and somebody had to get booed? This was risky because yeah. they have a situation here where they have two hot people, but they may have actually like it could have backfired. Instead, in one magical moment, there's only two times this has ever worked in the history of the Royal Rumble. The first was when Hogan and Warrior turned and looked at each other and the fans went insane. Here, they turn and look at each other and the fans go nuclear for their eye contact. In a way that it's just like, okay, let's pencil that in for WrestleMania, except we don't get it for like 10 more fucking years. <laughs> Cena goes for the FU, but Batista gets out. Batista sets up to Batista bomb Cena. He gets him up for it, but Batista loses his balance. And unbelievably, they both tumble backwards over the top rope and hit the floor. Okay. It's clear the way this was supposed to work is that as they go over, the rope gets pulled back. Batista's supposed to grab it, and he's supposed to hold on to the ropes while Cena falls out. That's clear that that's what was supposed to happen. That would have been a great finish. Yeah. Instead, miraculously, unbelievably, they both go over the ropes, bounce off the ropes, and hit the ground at the exact same fucking time. Like, there have been times they've intentionally tried to do finishes like this and blown it. It is yeah. insane that they accidentally did this perfectly. I mean, after watching you The Rock... You couldn't, have done it if, you couldn't have done it if you tried it. If you tried to do this, you would do this. You're absolutely right. When Luger and Brett did this, they hit it a lot more, and like they let Brett like kind of let them fall together so he could yeah. control it. For them to be out of control free-falling like this, taking like basically flat bumps together... No one could do this. Okay. So this is a chaotic moment. Like, what do you do? The initial thing is the referees just raise Batista's hand because he's supposed to be the winner. And then somebody, I'm going to guess somebody calls it from the Probably back. Vince. They tell like, hey, hey, have the SmackDown referees raise Cena hand yeah. because that just furthers the storyline. That sense. makes sense. Yeah. Now, apparently they're looking around trying to find Bischoff or Teddy Long. But even though they were both out there earlier, both guys left. 
They went back through the curtain and just like got on the road, went back to the hotel or got on the road to the next town. So they can't find Bischoff or Teddy Long to, they would have probably, if they had had them both standing there, they probably would have sent them out to argue a little bit. You know, they could have bought some more time. Like this moment is better if they like Bischoff and Teddy Long come out on stage and they're yelling and then like Vince's music hits Yeah, like that. That's a really fucking cool moment. But, like, obviously, you're not pre-planning any of this shit. So, out charges Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Yeah, he comes out, you know, angry, maybe for a shoot. Who knows? Like, takes off his jacket, throws it down, you know, kind of half struts, half jogs to the ring. And then, for some insane reason, he tries to slide into the ring, which I don't think I've ever seen him do before. He's never done this before in his fucking life. And he bangs both his quads um, on the ring apron, on the corner of the ring. And when he goes to stand up, he can't, and he just crumples because he tore his quad. It's it Watching him tumble and fall like that, that's like the God. first genuinely vulnerable moment we've ever yeah. seen that man show in his entire life. Imagine and how embarrassing this must have been. He's literally sitting in the ring. God. By the way, not one single moment no. of pain flits across his face. No. Not for an instant. He doesn't look hurt at all. And the quad, tearing a quad, I've heard, is one of the most painful injuries you can suffer. Literally, he tears it off the fucking bone in one <laughs> moment, then tries to stand up on his naked bone knee, collapses to the ground, doesn't sell it. Still fully in the Mr. McMahon character as he sits on the ground like, well, what the fuck's going on here? So were you watching this one live? Yes. Oh, yes. yeah. Me too. What the fuck did you think was going Like, I had no idea what was real, like what was happening at this point. I, I, assumed I just it assumed was it was all the work because it just had to be. It's too crazy to be a shoot. But like also like and then the Vince thing, like I, I'm like, what the fuck? Why? Why is he just sitting there? Yeah, because obviously we didn't know that he tore his quad. I mean, you saw him hit and like yeah. stand up kind of awkwardly, but it's just like, did he fucking hurt himself? Like, what are we doing? He's just sitting there and he's like motioning for to restart the match. Here's the thing, though. Like, we're talking about this like they like sawed around in the back for like Teddy and Bischoff for a while. And then finally, Vince. Got- this is seconds, like yeah. all happens in 30 seconds. So it feels real. Like, it feels like this is the plan. Like what was supposed to happen because they go from like, they both hit to raising Batista's hand to raising John Cena's hand to them both being like, huh, what the fuck is going on? And then they each throw each other out of the ring, which I'm sure is something like somebody called to them yeah. that that was a nice little touch. Again, by time. And, and then out charges Vince to restart the match. And then they restart the match. Like it feels like the only thing that made me convinced that it wasn't the original plan is how abbreviated when the match restarts, like yeah. they immediately end it. Yeah. It's over in like 10 seconds. Once they restart, um, they trade finisher attempts and Batista hits the spine buster and throws scene out. The thing is they were running out of satellite time. So they had like, they had to get out of there. They, they were like past two hours and 50 minutes. They had to wrap the show up. Now, if it's me, with the benefit of hindsight, I would have gone off the air without it being clear who won the match. That would have been okay, I think. You pull it over to Raw. Yeah. Like, you maybe you get, like, a match between Batista and Cena, but, like, there's a ton of fucking interference. Yeah. And it's like, you just have Batista's, both rosters end up fighting each other. Yeah. Batista's got to win, obviously. Yeah. 
but like you can make more money out of this. This is actually a good thing. We haven't had like a genuinely interesting rumble finish since like oh one maybe like it's they had gotten a little stale and like this is like no one would have been able to tell you this is all you would be talking about to your buddies the next day is like oh man what the fuck happened with Batista and Cena fucking say they both won they're both getting the shot anyway that's, that's the thing about it is you know they you could just have them be co-winners i guess that's kind of lame but yeah they could just both get their title shots the problem is they've probably already planned out the contract signing thing with batista yeah. that's going to make him a megastar and they do need to do that they can't, they can't blow that they need that um, yeah so Vince tore his uh, Vince refused to like they should have carted Vince off, but instead he insisted on walking back. He tears the other quad or the other one. He must have knocked it loose when he slid into the ring. But yeah, I tore the other one walking on it. And he still gets to the back on his own feet. Yeah. Just insane. Like, just. there's a level of toughness at which point it no longer becomes a virtue. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, dude, it's just stupid. Let the doctors help you. Fucking crazy. Like, they're not going to show like he just sl- they get him out of the ring and he's just off camera after that. He easily could have just sat down there at ringside and they would have brought the stretcher out for him. But yeah, he didn't want to be stretchered off. Yeah. At any rate, what winds up happening is like, I don't think this make I wind up, I think this actually makes Cena look better because instead of just being thrown out, yeah. he's shown to be Batista's equal and then he gets thrown out. But like there's that moment like, oh, these two are the guys and they're exactly as good as each other. You know, they really should have made Cena Batista like a proper rivalry and they just they just didn't really get there. It was years before they finally feuded because they were kept on separate shows for so long it's just so dumb because if you're gonna do like the smackdown versus raw rivalry it should have been about cena versus batista these are the two guys on these shows and it's about them instead they swap them and then batista gets hurt and it all goes to shit yeah uh really good rumble match this is an underrated one i think I love this rumble match. I love the finish. I love how exciting it feels to finally have new stars that people are into the crowd. This is one of the hottest rumble crowds that there ever was for a rumble. And you just get the sense that they're excited about the product. You know what I mean? Like there's only a couple of times that you really get the sense that like this product's on its way up and it's awesome. It's going to not survive very long, but this is a, nope. this is a happy moment. It's not going to be awesome by the end of the year. <laughs> Shit, by the end of the summer. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, overall, pretty good show. Like, I loved the Rumble match. I liked Edge versus Michaels. Wasn't really into the rest of the undercard, though. Yeah, it's really all about the Rumble. And in and, and, and keeping with it being all about the Rumble, you've now triggered Stump Steve. Oh, God. Okay. Now, this is the most meticulously researched Stump Steve ever in the history of our podcast. I went back and I researched every single Royal Rumble from the very beginning, and I counted up all of the world champions wow. in those Rumbles, including the, like future titles, past titles, all of it, to find the number of world champions, future, past, present, in each of the Royal Rumbles. And I'm going to put it to you. 
to f- tell me which one had the most world champions in it. What is the most star-studded, glorious Royal Rumble of all time? Now, some some ground rules. We are only talking about WWE world yeah. championships, so just like Universal, World, WWE, sure. not ECW, not... We're not worrying about the women's belt because that was kind of an iffy world title for a long time. Like just the main ones. And I'm going to give you the decade that it's a part of. So you have 10 to choose from because otherwise it's a kind of a dick move. Right. Okay. So the decade that you are choosing from is 2010 to 2020. 2011. 2011 had 17 world champions in it. However, that was not the most. That wasn't the most. I was thinking that one because it was the 40-man one. And that would have been absolutely the thing that made the most sense. Uh, However, 2016, the Roman Reigns versus the World Royal Rumble had 18 world champions. That does kind of make sense because there was no title match on the undercard. Exactly. There were a bunch that had like 16, 17. I also went through like the alternate question that I gave him in case he wanted it was combined reigns for the world champions on these shows. This took me about two hours to compile and it was a waste of my time. But yes, it surely was. Do you want to take a stab at the most combined Uh, reigns on a Royal Rumble? Okay. I mean, I think obviously it's got to be. Well, Trying to think of a rumble, the guys who had the belt the most times in WWE, it's like guys who had it over 10. It's like Edge, Orton, Triple H, Cena. I'm trying to think of a rumble they were all in. Um, I tell you what, how about I name you the champions that were in the rumble and you try to tell me what? Oh, that's an interesting one. All right. Yeah. You stop me when you feel like you know what it is. Shawn Michaels. Chris Jericho, Rey Mysterio, Edge, Christian, RVD, Eddie Guerrero, Jeff Hardy, John Cena, Kane, Booker T, The Undertaker, Brock Lesnar, Batista. 2003? Three! That's the one! Okay. 91 combined title reigns. That's 10 more than any other Royal Rumble. That was a loaded Rumble. Hell yeah, it was. How did I get... Oh, that I got the harder of the two. That's what I'm saying. When we were talking about this before the show, you were like, well, that one sounds way too hard. And I'm like, actually, I think you can yeah. probably get that one easier. Because the 40-man Rumble is obviously the one that you would pick. That's and such I was a good, shocked to such see. such a good red hair, in. The funny thing about it is, like... And I was like, this, oh, Kevin Nash and Booker T were in that one. That's two, like, extra legend champions. But no. It's actually been fascinating following the pattern of this, too. Because obviously, like, the first Rumble has two world champions for six combined reigns. Like, obviously, yeah, that's trash. And then, like, when the brand split happens, suddenly there's at least ten world champions yeah. in every single Royal Rumble. We've now come back around in the Roman Reigns era. Yeah, because so. nobody gets the belt anymore. Yeah, in 2022, that was the first time it dips below 10, as it's only nine champions for 39 total reigns. And it's all guys over 40, every single one. It's guys who held the belt a million years ago. Because, yeah, Roman's been champion for years and years at this point. Yeah, the champions in that one are like Sheamus and Kofi and Ziggler and, like, guys like that. 
All right. So that's a wrap for this one. Um, Next week, we're going to jump forward another five years and cover the 2010 Royal Rumble. I think this is going to be even weirder than this week. Like, what was WWE even doing in 2010? If you ask somebody to just name it off the top of their head, I guarantee you they could not produce that shit. In fact, when you told me what happens on the very first Raw (laughs) of 2010, I was like, what? Really? That was that? Yeah, so randomly we're going to get to talk about Bret Hart returning to WWE, TNA going to Monday nights, Sheamus being the WWE champion, Shawn Michaels desperately trying to finish his story and uh, win the Royal Rumble to get a shot at The Undertaker. I actually think I get the, I get the feeling Cody is going to have a Shawn Michaels-ish moment this weekend in the Rumble when he gets eliminated. I am very excited for that. Also, let me just point out that I believe this is the seventh Sheamus versus Randy Orton match that we've discussed on this podcast. (laughs) I would love if somebody, and I don't know how, this would be way too much research, but somebody figuring out what match we've covered the most times would be interesting. Like what combination, what two wrestlers have wrestled each other the most times. And we've talked about it because it might be Sheamus, Randy Orton. It's got to be that one or like Big Show Kane. Like it's some something Kane. like that. Maybe like Rock Triple H. I don't know. Yeah, it's tough. Sting versus somebody. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we'll have all that and more next time on the Lawcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next time.